from John's account in the 13th chapter. Now, before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. And then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> well, if, if Jesus is who we think he is, if Jesus is God in human flesh, a very bizarre thing to claim and a very confusing thing for the world we live in today, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. If that's who he is, then what kind of God comes to earth in fragile human flesh and then kneels down before sinful humanity and humbly washes their feet. 
what kind of God is that? This isn't the world's idea of God. God is supposed to be big. God is supposed to be all-powerful and even judgmental and far off, but not in human flesh, washing human feet. That's not the world's idea of God. If you were making this story up, you wouldn't put that in it. You'd have a more powerful God who maybe they were washing his feet or her feet. But you wouldn't have God washing human feet. You can't make that stuff up. Only hours before his execution, Jesus is washing the feet of his students. And they are going to betray him and deny him. And they will hide when danger comes, and they will doubt, and they will argue, and they will fall into despair, and yet he washes their feet. And note this, even the feet of Judas. Jesus washed the feet of Judas that night. Now, it strikes me that Jesus called Judas to be one of the 12, of all the people in Israel Jesus could have hand-picked to be on his small team, he picked Judas Iscariot. Now, the question is, did he make a mistake in picking him? Or did he see something of great value in Judas? Judas was apparently full of potential, He must have had the gifts for ministry. Jesus saw those in him. He possessed leadership potential. He had a heart for Christ at some point that Christ felt he could mold him and shape him and use him in establishing his church. Judas was picked by Jesus. He was a good man. Oh, he's become the black sheep and the dark figure in the story, and the one we cast all our sins on and drive him out into the wilderness, none of us would ever do that. But Judas belonged to Christ. He chose him. He loved him. He saw great things in that man. And he washed his feet on this night, the night of betrayal. Not only did Jesus see something in Judas, he made him the treasurer of his small group. He gave him all the money. He paid all the bills. He kept up with the small business. And ironically, Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We'll never know what caused him to do it. Some say he was trying to force Jesus' hand to finally show his power and take over and bring Israel back to the power house that it should be. And so he was calling Jesus' card. 
Others say he was just greedy. Well, why not just steal the money from the treasury? It would have been easier. The Bible says evil entered him somehow, which is a mystery. And if it did enter into him uniquely on that night, why wouldn't Jesus protect Judas from Satan and his power? Judas is a mystery to the church. But whatever the case, Judas lived to regret what he did. After they arrested Jesus, late on this night, on Thursday night, they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, which apparently they stopped there uh, many times, the Bible says. They were accustomed to being there, so Judas knew he'd be there. And after they arrested Jesus, Matthew tells us that Judas, and these are Matthew's words, that Judas repented. Judas repented. He turned around. He made, he was sorrowful for what he had done. And he took the money, the 30 pieces of silver, back to the chief priest. The tragedy of Judas's story is he then went and hung himself. So even though he repented, even though he turned the blood money back over to the chief priest, he could not allow himself to receive the forgiveness of God. He couldn't receive it. He couldn't imagine such love. He felt too unworthy. So suicide becomes a part of the church's early history. Suicide has been in our history from the very beginning. A life that cannot accept hope for the future. Death. You wouldn't put that in the story if you were making it up either. You'd make up a story that's victorious and powerful and full of hope and strong figures. This is real history. He hung himself. If Judas had only waited a few days, just a few days, he could have experienced God's forgiveness in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he didn't. The word mondi derives from the Latin mandatum, which means mandate or commandment. So on this night of his arrest at this table, the night he was betrayed and denied by Peter later on on this evening, the leader of the twelve. Jesus gave a commandment to the church that you love one another even as I have loved you. Now, what kind of God says things like that to people who are broken and flawed, like Judas and Peter and all the rest? How do you love a traitor? And how do you love an enemy? 
And how do you love someone who denies even knowing you? How do you love people who forsake you when you need them the most? What kind of love is this? Well, it's a different kind of love. It's a love not based on good behavior. It's a love not based on loyalty, because there's very little of it here. It's a love not based on mutual support or even on devotion. This love, this love that is driving Christ through the cross to the resurrection is an undying covenantal love that is rooted in pure grace. Grace. This is grace. It's a love that overcomes sin and death. It's a love that won't die. You can't kill this love, no matter what you've done or what you've not done or who you are or who you're not. You cannot kill the love of God for you. You can't. It's been tried by greater people than you. We all want some of this love, don't we? For this love is eternal from the heavens. It's not from here. It's above us. It's beyond us. It's the kind of love that should define the church, this church, every church. This is the kind of love that should define us in everything we say and do from this place. It's a love that calls us to this table of grace to confess our sins on this night with Judas, with Peter, with all the others, with every Christian in every church throughout the world on this night. We come to confess our sins and to receive forgiveness that empowers us to be the people of God. Jesus said, by this, by this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In that spirit, we are invited to his table, a table of grace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.